lives every day. Start with us. Start with me today. Amen. 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 Thanks, Roland. Yeah, if we can get that PowerPoint up, Gail, that'd be brilliant. Thank you. There we are. So, actually, before I start, Dennis, mate, I see you peeping through the door back there, but I just want to say thank you so much, you know, for giving us a window into your world, you know, and teaching us what it is to worship God in the face of such challenging circumstances. It's just very moving. And, and I think we're all indebted to you for doing that. So thank you so much. You know, and it's great because this passage, or this little verse, in fact, it's going to be, is really about helping us as men and women, as we follow Jesus, to actually, there are some hard things that we have to face. And there are hard things that we have to cope. And we're not exempt from that at all. And actually, Jesus calls us to be uh, very much wrapped up in those things. And I just wanted to start off asking a couple of questions. I don't know, have you ever heard people say things like, well, church would be okay if it wasn't for the people? <laughs> ah, have you ever said that? <laughs> right, right, right. You know, Jesus I get, but the church, oh. You know, how many times have I heard that through, through the years, down through the years? Uh, and it's such a challenge, isn't it? And yet Jesus loves the church. Jesus gave his life for the church. And Jesus one day will return as the bridegroom returning for the bride for his church. And so there's this kind of weird disconnect, isn't there? Something's broken somewhere. That There's these negative statements about the church, and yet Jesus is so passionate about it. Uh, and, and so we're going through this Jesus Masterclass stuff, and, and I just, uh, it seemed to me that the early talks we did were all about our relationship with him, all about our relationship with God, and, and some of the things to do with tackling that. And these later talks are much more about our relationship with each other, and how we have to make that work. And how we have to get on. Because actually Jesus doesn't want us just to be people that walk around saying, yeah, I follow Jesus. Yes, I'm a Christian. Yes, I do this. But Jesus actually calls us in response to him to then figure out how we get on together. And how as the church we live together and work stuff out together. And so there's this, the verse that we've got today, if I can just see if I can make this work. Here we go. Is that going to work? I am on. That is working. That's not working. Okay, you might have to drive Gail for me. Thank you very much. Okay, and this is the verse that, that we've got today that's related to this topic about working through the ups and downs. And it's, it's written by Peter, that disciple of Jesus that we'll come back to in a minute, who, who made all sorts of interesting choices uh, we read about in the Gospels. But towards the end of the New Testament, he wrote two letters. Uh, and in this first letter that he wrote, in chapter 4 and verse 8, we read this phrase, he says, above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Uh, actually, as I read this, I thought, well, a modern translation might have a footnote after love each other deeply and say, above all, love each other deeply in accordance with your church's safeguarding policy, <laughs> because love covers a multitude of sins. <laughs> But, but, and we laugh, but actually that, behind that, there's a, there's a bigger issue. And actually, what does that, this verse actually mean? What is this really talking about? Because um, if we look at um, 
the disciples, we just think about those early disciples. I mentioned Peter, right? If we just think about those early disciples for a moment. There was Peter, the hot-headed guy, the guy who would speak first and think later, the guy who would act first, chop off someone's ear, and then think later. And Jesus had to train him uh, out of that, if you like, and, and, and develop him and mature him. But there's not any Peter. There's James and John, who we're told are called the sons of thunder. Why was that? Maybe it's because they argued a lot, and they both liked their own voices a lot. You know? And actually, James and John, we also read, were two guys who went to Jesus and said, can you let us sit next to you in heaven <laughs> when we get there? You know, that was the kind of, these are the people that Jesus picked. You know, there was Matthew, the tax collector. Now, it's not just that he's a tax collector, boo, right? But he's a tax collector in a nation that has been taken over by the Romans. And the Romans are exacting taxes out of the Jews to plough money back into the Roman government and into their corruption and everything else. And Matthew is a Jew in that setup, working for the Romans, going to his fellow countrymen to get their taxes to give back to him. Whoa. And yet he's in this bunch that Jesus has picked. And then there's Simon the Zealot. Okay, so the Zealots, they're Jews that are like, well, today we would probably call them terrorists or guerrillas. They're fighting the Romans on their own soil uh, and uh, trying to use, disrupt things all the time. And now you've got Matthew the tax collector and Simon the Zealot in this same little house group that Jesus is working with. Oh my word, what were they talking about as, as they chatted together? How on earth did that get on? And, and the point I just want to make is what a collection of individuals that Jesus works with. What a diverse bunch that he worked with over three years, molding them, not rejecting them, but seeing past their outbursts, seeing past their misunderstandings, seeing past their bad theology, you know, to what was in their hearts. And we might say in the context of this verse that his love covered over their shortcomings and their mistakes. What an example of church that is. Oh God, oh God. Now it's us, right? Now we're the diverse, mixed up bunch of people with our obvious shortcomings. Sorry, but we are, right? But Jesus sees our hearts. He sees your heart and he sees my heart. And he's walking with you and he's walking with me and working with us as he calls us as his church to follow him. And as Peter writes these verse, I wonder if he's thinking back to those three years that he spent with that little group of all sorts of people that Jesus molded. And he reflects on how Jesus loved them and didn't judge them all the time, but actually accepted them and trained them and equipped them and put up with their, like I say, their outbursts and their shortcomings. So how do we do this? <laughs> Anybody got a clue? What does it look like? Because today, the problem is, today, the word love, right, it's so bland, isn't it? In fact, it's beyond bland. Right? It's so diluted. Nobody really knows what it means anymore, I suspect, you know. And, and it's really hard to see as we read a verse like that. Well, what is Peter driving at? So, so as I look at this, I think, how do we create a culture in the church where this is something we're trying to work out you know, what do we do, especially as we're a church working in the local community and the, the lines of what is church and what isn't are very blurred 
deliberately so, love that. Okay, but it's important, how do we work this out? And there's a lot of things that we could look at, okay, this morning, and you, as we go through this, you will think of other things, and you'll think, Andy, why don't you talk about that? Well, I, I just, you know, fantastic, there's lots of stuff here, and I've just pulled out four things that I would briefly like to cover that help us create a culture in the church where we could attain to this phrase that Peter says, above all, love each other deeply. I mean, that's a clue straight away, isn't it? Above all. No matter what else, and we could read the rest of the passage and see what else he said, but he said, above all, guys, we're to figure out how we love each other deeply because that love will cover a multitude of sins. Ah, I've got this working. <laughs> so the first thing I just want to talk about briefly is this belong, believe, behave. This is almost like the unwritten fifth value of MCF. Right, that, that we haven't done. And, and if you're not sure what, what this means, so time was, you know, that churches struggle quite often in that to be a part of the church, you used to have to behave in a certain way. You had to fit the mold. You had to follow the rules. You had to know when to stand up, when to sit down. You had to behave yourself through the week. And then maybe in that sort of context, you might then come to believe in Jesus. And once you'd done those two things, then they would say, yeah, now you belong to the church. But when we read the Gospels and we see how Jesus works with those early disciples that I've just talked about, we see a completely different model. We see those guys belonged together as a group. And what we see is Jesus moulding them. And as they belonged as a group, they discovered more about who Jesus was and what he was calling them in their lives. He flips that on its head, you know. And we're to welcome all people so that they can belong at any point, to be a part of what is happening and to be welcomed. Those first disciples, whatever else was going on, they felt some sense of belonging, even though they didn't get Jesus straight away, even though they didn't understand it all. And we should be modelling the same here throughout the week. That we're all, all of us are on a journey discovering who God is. No one's got all the right answers. Sorry if you think you do but you don't. We're all on a journey discovering who God is. We're all on a journey discovering his robust love for each one of us and the implications that that has on our lives. So it doesn't matter whether you're at this end of the spectrum and and you've just got loads of questions. I don't understand what this church is really all about. I don't understand who God is, but there's something here and I don't know what it is and I've got loads of questions. Or you can be right at the other end of the spectrum and you've been following Jesus for decades and you read the Bible three times every year and and you're pursuing him with passion and and you're working it all out. All of us fall within that spectrum somewhere and we're all welcome. And we've all got to feel a sense of belonging to, to, to this place. And that then this becomes, not that belonging means this becomes a safe place to ask questions. A safe place to find out more without being judged. A place to be accepted. A place to be welcomed where you can belong. And in that context, men, women and children can encounter God for themselves and then believe. And then as we learn more about who God is and the extent of his love for us and the call that he makes on our own lives, then our behaviour changes as we respond to him. 
But the first step on there is to get a sense of belonging that oh, everyone is welcome here because we're all trying to figure this out and learn who Jesus is and respond to him and then allow him to change our lives, not the other way around. And that's what happened for those early disciples. And there's implications as there was for them, there's implications for us. Nothing is straightforward. You know, they made mistakes. They argued. We make mistakes. We argue, right? Jesus needed to rebuke them at times. Jesus needs to rebuke us at times. But they were loved and they were accepted. And they were free to make mistakes. And they were in the greatest place to learn about who God truly is and what he has in store for them. How great if we could make, you know, your little circle of friends, your little group you're a part of, the church as we touch faces with, touch shoulders with the community, we make it into that type of environment that people are not thrown out for making mistakes or for not conforming. So belong, believe, behave. If we can build a church like that, then maybe that becomes an environment where we learn to love each other deeply. And that love covers a multitude of sins. The second thing I just want to talk about is slightly different. It's just the importance of acceptance and agreement. So the question I got is, can you love people even if you don't agree with their lifestyle choices? Think about it first before you answer. <laughs> can, you love, can people belong even if we don't agree with our lifestyle choices? You see, it's an important question because in Western society today, in the culture in which we live, in the UK and elsewhere, this is a challenge. We frequently read in the media this headlong rush on a number of issues to drive a wedge and create an us-and-them scenario. And you're part of us if you agree with what we're saying. And if you don't agree with what we're saying, then you're part of them. And, and that headlong rush to, 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 to create those two parties all the time is all around us. In fact, probably nowhere is this more evident at this present time in the media than in how that media portrays LGBTQ plus issues. We see it prevalently. You know, that to accept people, you have to agree with their lifestyle choices. Otherwise, you're clearly not accepting them. And there seems to be very little option in public coverage that you can disagree with their lifestyle choice and yet still accept and welcome and love them. And, and, that, and we read that in the media. That's all my point. is the only point I'm making. We read that in the media all the time. And we have to learn how to handle that because Jesus presents a very different approach. Think about the woman caught in adultery, dragged before him, and how he showed her grace and mercy and also truth. He didn't reject her because of what she'd done that he didn't agree with, but he showed love and mercy. Nice tune. Um, think, about, think about the, lady, the Samar uh, Samarian lady at the well. Exactly the same scenario. She'd have multiple husbands, and the, and the man she was living with wasn't a current husband. And yet Jesus didn't reject her. He didn't despise her. He accepted her and showed her grace and mercy and love. And yet in doing that, also portrayed the truth about her own life and the challenge that God would present about that. Think about the parable he told of, of, the, uh, of the good Samaritan. So annoying, that parable. He takes somebody that everybody doesn't like and doesn't agree with and, and definitely doesn't agree with lifestyle choices and makes them the star of the show. 
You know, and so Jesus has this annoying habit of actually showing how to work with people that you don't agree about their lifestyle choices and some of the things they're doing, and yet show love and mercy and grace and favor to them. The challenge for you and me is to be like Jesus. <laughs> right? So we read, this is the grace and truth challenge, right? So Jesus, we read, is full of grace and truth. The problem is, you and I aren't. <laughs> and we battle with this. And we swing to one or other of those two things so very often. We're either all about the truth, and I can tell you exactly what the Bible says and how you're not matching up to it. Or we swing all about the grace, and we love people come what may, and we forget about what God's Word actually says about stuff. And trying to hold those two things in tension is so hard. But guess what? That's what God is calling us to do. That's the challenge that we've got, the grace and truth challenge. Jesus was clear on matters of truth, yet in most cases did not use that to turn people away, but rather he walked with them, was clear with them, not soft, and demonstrated an ability of grace as he led them uh, forward from where they are. Huge challenge. But acceptance and agreement is an important part, right? Because so, so as we learn to do that in the church, and if we can start to get our heads around that and act like that, then I believe that helps us to get to this verse that Peter's talking about, that we learn what it is to love each other deeply. Third thing I want to talk about is boundaries. Okay, so just before I do, an apology here. So... So we're really, Angie and I are really excited about our granddaughter, just in case you've never spoken to us about her. So, so Graham, where are you? Graham, is this your first grandchild? Ah, yes. oh, man, you've got such fun coming. You know, there's nothing better than spoiling a child rotten and then handing them back to their parents. It's, 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 yeah, it's, it's brilliant. But, but one of the, so, so one of the things we've done is uh, we've got these little plastic covers like we've got around here on the, on the sockets, you know, to, to cover the sockets up. And we've got those locks that you put on the cupboard doors in the kitchen so they can't get the knives out and play with those and that kind of thing. But why do we do that? Because that's a boundary that we've put in place. Because we love her and we don't want her to get harmed by anything like that. That's what boundaries at the end of the day are all about. Think about your teenager coming in weekend after weekend saying, can I have 50 quid again when I go out, please? You know, and you don't ask questions. Oh, that's so wrong. You know, got to ask questions. Well, what happened last time? You know, setting boundaries in place is such a key thing. When our kids were growing up, um, we didn't allow them to have tellies in their own bedroom. <gasps> shock, shock, horror. Because, uh, uh, you know, we, whenever they watched stuff, we wanted to be around, and then we could pass comment on it, if appropriately. Not because we're controlling and terrible parents, uh, but actually because we love them, and we want them to learn how to judge between good and bad, right and wrong, and make sensible choices, and that's a key part of it. You know, nowadays, you know, the, the modern thing is, as I hear parents, you know, um, limiting the amount of time your child can play on a games console... <laughs> is one of the more current things. But setting those boundaries in place is so important. It's as we get into adulthood that it becomes more of a challenge. 
right, and setting boundaries between ourselves, but they are so important to how we learn to love each other deeply. So when Peter writes that verse about loving each other deeply, it's not an, an open statement for us just to gush everybody with hugs and say they're there and mop their brow and say, of course you were, you know, and agree with them all the time and give them money to help them all the time and, and just do all of those nice, lovely, cotton woolly things and say that is not a carte blanche statement for us to do that. And sometimes the most loving word you and I can say, correct, is no. Is no. You know? As Jesus loved and molded those early disciples into men and women of God who would transform history, that involved creating and reinforcing boundaries in their lives about what was right and what was wrong, what they should cross and what they shouldn't cross. Chopping ears off for Jesus' name wasn't right. They needed to learn that, right? Peter needed to learn that. Then he needed to learn a load of other things about thinking through what it means to follow Jesus rather than just reacting all the time. And, and the challenge is most of this, most of us find this really difficult because it so often involves confrontation and we don't like confrontation. And it involves talking about things that we want to avoid. And not doing that out of anger, but doing that in a winsome manner. And that takes some doing. But that's why we need Jesus to help us. That's why we need him to help us. And the Holy Spirit to help us. But for me, those boundaries are part of the cost of loving each other deeply. Boundaries are important because they protect us from getting caught up with emotions that could lead to an action that we later regret. Numerous times when I, when I, when I worked, I'd get that email coming in and I'd think, oh, how dare they do this? And I, and I'd type out an email response and then learning, rather than to hit send, to put it in the draft folder. And <laughs> There'll be a time of response afterwards, Kathy, it's all right. Uh, 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 and not do that, and then come back the next day and look at that and think, mm, maybe I was a little bit reactionary uh, doing that and not do that. You know, putting those boundaries in place so that it protects not only the other person but yourself from just simply responding out of emotion and the repercussions that that can lead to. Okay, the fourth and final thing I just want to uh, suggest to help us create an environment in the church where we can learn to love each other deeply is, is it's about community and that community being a safe space. We're not meant to worship Jesus in isolation. No one comprises the church on their own. No one spiritually matures on their own. No one undertakes Jesus' mission on their own. We're meant to and we're called to work with other Christians alongside us. This takes place in community. The New Testament writers understood that. It was just a taken for them that you follow God in community. Jesus trained those disciples not in isolation, not one-on-one, -on -one, but together as a group, learning to shave off their rough edges. So when Peter writes this 
It's to the church in community. It's not to an individual. We're not meant to follow God in isolation, but together as a community of different people at different points on our journey with a different appreciation of God's word. Not a regimented set of people all believing the same thing and acting the same way. I think it was, was it Wimber who said that, you know, church, if you want something that's neat, nice and neat and in rows, go to a cemetery, right? But the church is meant to be not like a cemetery, it's meant to be more like a nursery. There's a mess, there's pooey nappies, there's people throwing up, there's, there's smells, there's change of clothes, and, and, and we're meant to be more like that. So, so, but it's a community of people working that out together, but more importantly, it's a community that's meant to be a safe space. Okay, apologies, second granddaughter illustration. When we know Megan is going to come and visit... We go round one of the rooms and lift everything that's made of glass off the floor and put it on, on the side, right? And, and then she turns, and she's 13 months old now, right? So she's just started to walk, uh, been doing that for about three weeks. Uh, and when I say walk, it's kind of, you know, and then all of a sudden it's, well, for something she runs, but she wobbles, and then she collapses. But it's a safe space for her to do that. You know, that's an image of the church. Actually, we're all doing this for Jesus. We're all trying to figure it out. And we're all wobbling a bit. And every so often we collapse. And then we get up and we try again. And this is meant to be a safe space where we can fail, where we can admit our failings. And no one laughs at us or points the finger. And where we're not thrown out for not conforming. We're meant to be a community that is a safe space. I want to conclude just by um, flipping to a story uh, right back in the beginning of the Bible, in the ninth chapter of Genesis, where this, this story really, for me, pictorially represents what Peter is talking about when he's calling us to love each other deeply because that love covers a multitude of sins. So this is about Noah, the guy who built the ark, and this is after the ark incident. Apologies if it's too small, but I'll read it. Uh, And this is after the ark incident. We read this. Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. When he drank some of its wine, he became drunk and lay uncovered inside his tent. Ham, that's one of his children, the father of Canaan, saw his father naked and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it across their shoulders and they walked him backwards and covered their father's naked body. Their faces were turned the other way so that they would not see their father naked. You see, too often we can be a bit like Ham. Too often we can be Have you seen what they've done? Too often we can say, have you heard about that? I mean, they're even a good church person. You know, this guy Noah, he built the ark and responded to the grace of God and rescued mankind through the flood. But too often we're quick to point the finger and quick to tell somebody else about what they've done. And too often we're like that. And God is calling you and me to be more like Shem and Japheth in this story that we learn to love one another because that love like the blanket in the story hides covers a multitude of sins God is asking us here to be a people 
who learn what it is to cover over each other's sins. And that comes from loving each other deeply. We have much to learn. Amen.